2: Sumo play.
0: You're listening to Fox Sports Radio.
2: California
3: has said with their state schools that online only through the fall of 2020, which means through the calendar year when it comes to the way the semesters go. um, Now, explain this to me when I've seen the list of the California schools, The the state schools, USC, UCLA, haven't been on that list. Can you help me understand that distinction?
4: Yeah, so Fresno State would be considered a state school. UCLA is not considered a state school. They're the next one up, and then uh, USC is not involved in that either. So as of right now, it looks like just the state schools, most notably San Diego State, Fresno State would be a couple of the big ones.
3: And the Mountain West commissioner said the following, quote, unless they're in full mode, with dormitories and housing and all the other faculties and facilities, including ice cream—no, I'm making that up—are uh, <laughs> open, we will not have college athletics. Here is that tone again, and, Faz, let me bring you in. I have been noticing a real defiant tone because, to me, if I'm a commissioner—and let's say I have to make this statement, meaning that his name, Craig Thompson— I, I believe this is the best, right? So I'm going to have to do what I think is best as the decision maker. I am going to lament it. If you go in and tell, and obviously this is a more extreme case, a kid that they're going to have to amputate their foot, you're not going to come in and say, hey, if you don't get your foot, amputated and be all sanctimonious. You're going to feel the empathy of the pain. Now, obviously this is less important than that, but it's important for many reasons. The financial side, the spirit, a lot of, you know, th- title nine stuff, I mean, I'll tell you this. You hear about the MAC, which is an Ohio conference generally, is OU's, Ohio University is in that ball state, for example. And, you know, they have, I think, Tuesday night games on ESPN. So a lot of people are familiar with that. Uh, uh, Marshall in there is the idea that they're now already planning on cutting the participants in the college basketball tournament for next year. They don't have the money, apparently. To bring kids do to a tournament once a year tournament in a revenue generating sport, apparently, which is college basketball in most cases, if they're already that tough on money, well, they're eating a lot of shrimp. We know that much. Those college guys love to eat the free shrimp that everyone pays for, that the students in a way pay for the student athletes by playing for free. Well, they'll eat all that shrimp, but now they can't bring the same number of teams in. There's a lot of, for one tournament a year. There's a lot of consequences to not playing. When you listen to these college commissioners and such, do you hear that defiant tone? And what do you think it's about?
5: You know, I don't understand it, RJ, because this all seems so premature to me. Like you mentioned, with all these projections, they are changing daily in terms of what's gonna happen. Illinois cases are exploding. New York cases are going down dramatically. Why can't we just wait and interpret the data here in June? I don't know why Craig Thompson was so quick to say, Hey, you know what, if there's no online if, if there's no live classes, Fresno, San Jose State, San Diego State isn't gonna have athletics, it just seems way too premature.
3: Well, let me try to Sherlock Holmes it here. Why he's saying it? Huh? Let me think. His financial uh, health is not affected by this. I'm guessing his contract doesn't have anything about if these games don't play, you don't get paid. So he has no consequence really. Number two, if you're in a position where you might have to take make some tough decisions one way to assuage yourself of that anxiety is to act as if the decisions aren't tough, that they are clear that, Hey, Mm. there's no, you guys are all on your talk shows and your TV shows talking about the possibilities. You don't get it. This is his perspective. You don't get it. We couldn't even possibly play without ice cream in the dorms. Oh, you think I'm joking, but it's really how far is it? What what does the full facilities have to do with anything? The real question is, is it an economic positive to play? Or is it even an economic neutral? Because if it's an economic neutral for a college, they should play because it gives the kids the chance to have their time to play, which is limited. If they have any potential professionals, it helps them potentially get there. And it also helps the country. Right? Now, if the schools are losing money, if it's a net negative, now you can't ask the schools to lose money for other people. You'd either subsidize it in theory if you're the government, if you want it, or you accept that they're not going to play. I don't get the sense that's how they're thinking. I get the sense he'd rather avoid a lot of tough decisions, so he's going to wave his hands and say, oh, this is not even a close call, so why debate it? And thus he gets to go eat some shrimp. And I don't think the shrimp's going down. I've never been around a college – I've been around a lot of bowl games, a lot of college deals, and I, around a lot of, you know, associate AD types. My best buddy, associate AD in the Big 12, and I'll tell you right now, is they never miss a shrimp meal. I, I've never seen it. So I think if we pull away the shrimp, we might have some more passion for college football and college sports.
0: Straight out of-
5: Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Outta Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app
4: so rj we've been talking about the state of california and their restrictions and how it will impact the world of college football also college football in general some commissioners coming out and saying they don't want their conferences playing games without fans being able to be in attendance and students back on campus and so it would potentially impact a major matchup between alabama and usc
3: so i'm going to quote what you just said back to you You said They wouldn't want to play unless their students were able to be on campus. Yeah. And if that's about safety, then okay. Right. Decide. We all got to decide. Every organization, every person has to decide how much risk they're willing to take. And the flip side is less risk, other consequences. And financial, perhaps social, whatever, right? Uh, Mental health. I mean, let's be candid here. Go to the grocery store. And I'm not even talking L.A. La La stuff. I'm talking about even a good wholesome, wholesome city like Vegas. And look around. There's some crazies. Regardless, this is before all this. Now, you got all those people locked away for months at a time. It's not a good thing. I don't know how to quantify that, but there's a cost to it, and that's life. You know, the old clam chowder. Do you buy the half price clam chowder and take the risk, Fez? You do, right? <laughs> if you're on a losing streak, for sure, right? Some old shrimp in that clam chowder. Well, listen, you don't get the free shrimp. You know, though, that's an interesting point. So you're betting thousands and thousands every game, sometimes, you know, up you know, past 10 and beyond, is the idea – if you lose, let's say, six of eight, which happens, right? It happens. That is part of the ebbs and flows of betting. But do you find you, yourself still at age, you know, mid-50s, that you will say, you know, I'm not going to get that appetizer today. You know, though the appetizer is, you know, $11 and you're betting, you know, $11,000, let us say, do you find yourself like tightening your belt in a way that's just symbolic, when you do have a losing streak.
5: Yes, I've been known to order the kids' mail off of the Wendy's menu. <laughs> <laughs> How many games you have to lose to do that?
3: <laughs>
5: That's like a two and eight weekend.
3: <laughs> That's Steve Fezzik. I'm R.J. Bell. I believe, though, and I strongly believe, that this opportunity to actually have your position as an individual, as a company, as a state— And then stand by it and face the consequences. Meaning if you're right, you benefit. And there's not the consequences net-net. If you're wrong, it costs you. Look at Florida on one end of the spectrum. They're taking their bows right now. Dana White singing their praises. The governor, their openness. We're open for sports, says California. Again, I I was so (laughs) flabbergasted by the spectacle of Wants that. The former coach on with Colin just raving about all his golf games and his times on the beach. And it was like, what, what are you talking about the old? Day? No, no. Yesterday, you know, today. And on the other hand, you got people in California, you know, and not only California that are being extra careful. Now, here's the thing. I probably lean more towards. Because we're quantifying this risk with words, uh, with a lot of numbers, obviously that's how you quantify. Oh, 50,000 people, this. And the number that always jumps out at me is well, and not saying that every death isn't important, right? It's just how important is it relative to the other things? That's a tough conversation, but it's an adult conversation because literally there's, I think, 30 people a year that are killed by coconuts falling from coconut trees. That's the stat that's been going around. If you have 300 plus million, it only takes one in 10 million to get you 30. Right, Fez? Is that math right? (laughs) Yes. There we go. So I don't have a calculator right in front of me. But the fact of the matter is, we're always taking risks and it's always going to be cost benefit. And right now it looks like Florida... Is getting the benefit and California is getting the cost. And I have been more of let's, you know, look at this like adults and be judicious about the risk we take, but don't be scared of risks that we take. We're taking normal circumstances. It's just now it's named the coronavirus and now it's more scary. I'm not saying exactly when that's the case, meaning I'm not saying this is exactly the flu. I'm saying it's the flu plus. But it's not the flu plus smallpox. It's not 80%. So it's a balancing act. And I think almost everyone, Jonas, I I, got to take a little bow here. We were probably the first on national sports talk to even broach that subject because I don't care. You know, none of these people really matter to me. I don't want to be some media guy eating shrimp on the media side. (laughs) Right. So I like I have good media friends and I like them as people, but I'm not looking to be in everyone's good graces. And obviously that's good because I'm not. But the fact of the matter is, We were talking about this needs to be a a, a cost-benefit analysis before anyone. And it feels like now everyone has finally arrived there.
4: Yeah, I I think the initial reaction was people were scared or confused. Then they became scared. Then they started to hear different stories one way or the other. And now people understand the risk and are now seeing what what is happening financially to a lot of businesses, sports-wise and otherwise. So it kind of came in layers, pretty much.
3: And you said such the right word. Word. You said hearing other stories or narratives or logic. If there's one thing, if you just say, what's RJ's strongest position? One is, I like to win. All right. <laughs> Number two, though, is that I want every reasonable possibility to be able to be discussed. Because the minute that people are scared to talk about what's on their minds is the minute that things are not everyone that everyone doesn't get a chance to think through every position, right? Is it really took some guts for an Elon Musk who has a lot to lose by the public. You know, if people are saying, I'm not going to buy Tesla's anymore because of his position, that's a dangerous thing for him. So I don't, I, I feel like he's generally right on this, but I don't know enough to know for sure. I don't think anyone knows for sure, but the fact that he said it, contributed to the conversation. And, and I'm not saying that is, is goofy sports talk crap to a caller. I'm talking about the conversations that are life and death. And if you're scared... To say what you believe, I think that's a horrible thing. I don't care if you're on the left or right. You should have a, If someone believes in, in communism, Russia style, they should have the right to say it. And we can disagree. We can say we don't want to be friends even with someone like that. But they have every right to say it. And someone on the right that says, hey, I believe in this or that, whatever the extreme is, they should have a right to say it. Even if I might find a certain thing on either side deplorable. I think they have, you know, the old cliche is... You know, I disagree with you, but I'll die for your right to say. I don't know about dying, but I don't think anyone's asking us to die. We're just saying let's be tolerant of other views, even if they disagree with you politically. If you're right, you should be able to out-debate them on it. And if they're they're wrong, you should want them talking about it so you have a chance to tell your side, and eventually maybe they'll come around. But I promise you, if they're in their basement with their beliefs whispering them to their friends – I don't think many people are going to get convinced. Either way
4: I, It feels like a lot, The one thing I try never to do Is be dim- dismissive of anything You know to Just at least entertain the idea Whatever it is Even if, if You know Initially I'm not in agreement And I think it's crazy And nothing is said During that time To convince me otherwise At least don't be dismissive to it And there's a lot of that The second somebody's Two sentences in To their belief On what is happening They get labeled as something And we're dismissive Of the conversation I try not to be that way But I feel like There's a lot of that going on
0: Straight out of Vegas!
4: Be sure to catch live
5: editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific.
3: All right, Jonas, speaking of a percentage, less than 75, best bet UFC. All
4: right, we're going to go to the heavyweight division. We're going to go under two and a half rounds later tonight between Andre Arlovsky and Felipe Lenz, and here's why. Andre Arlovsky's been fighting in the UFC for a long-ass time. He's 41 years old, (laughs) and his chin has been questionable at times. He's been put to sleep on numerous occasions. 11 knockouts in his career, one loss by submission. Felipe Lenz has three losses in his career, all three losses by knockout. I think the heavyweights come out and start banging in in front of a huge audience with nothing else going on. I like the under of two and a half rounds. You've got to lay a little bit more to get it. It's minus 130 right now, but give me the under between Felipe Lenz and Andre Arlovsky, under two and a half.
3: Well, when you're 33%, you're not afraid to lay the vig, right? You just want to get some (laughs) wins. Let me me ask you the mechanics on betting two and a half rounds explain that is it the halfway mark of the round or how does that work
4: yeah it's the halfway mark of the round so any undercard fight which would be any fight that's not the main event in a in a championship fight is three rounds so as it stands right now if you're in the third round but you're a minute in and there's a knockout you would win that bet it's when it gets to two and a half minutes and beyond so five
3: minute rounds so 230 will be that halfway mark yeah. of the third round Yeah. Okay, I heard a lot of talk, and I actually know a few UFC guys that know their stuff, and there's been a lot of talk amongst them when it comes to no fans and the fact as a viewing audience, you could hear the hits. You could hear the corner men talking. Just as a fan of UFC and or the betting angle, what do you think the effect of the non uh, or the lack of fans is?
4: Well, the one thing that was a little bit concerning is Greg Hardy fought on the UFC event on Saturday night, the former NFL player, Yeah, former NFL player, and he was getting eaten alive on leg kicks and he's only been fighting for a couple of years. So that was an aspect to his game that he just hadn't really developed yet. And he said after the fight that he heard Daniel Cormier on the on the broadcast say he's got to start checking those leg kicks. And once he heard him say that, he started checking the leg kicks and the other guy ended up, I think he either broke his foot or he suffered an injury and was never the same. Greg Hardy won that fight because he heard Daniel Cormier's instruction. And that would be a little bit concerning to me if if I were you know, hearing announcers give out instructions or maybe something that was said in a corner that wasn't heard from the other side. So that was the one thing that was a little interesting to me.
3: So him getting kicked in the leg, it didn't clue him in. He should maybe stop that. He's new. But he heard someone say <laughs> It's bad yeah. that he's getting kicked in the leg. He said, you know, he's right. Yeah. And he stopped it. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. That's <laughs> Jonas Knox. I'm RJ Bell. Faz MVP. We talked about it yesterday without you. You're Monday, Wednesday, Friday, like a chest workout. You actually have, we'll call this not a, so your best bets are what now? What's your streak? 10 and 0, RJ. Oh, listen to him. Like choke <laughs> it back a little bit. Like you're forcing me to say I'm perfect. All right, buddy. 10 and 0. So we'll call we'll call this a best bet because it's not going to get settled for a long time. So you like this? Are you betting this yourself?
5: I am, R.J. It is a best bet. Patrick Mahomes, four to one to win MVP. So
3: you're you're playing the favorite.
5: Yes, he is the favorite. Chalk eater. I I know it looks square as heck, (laughs) but Patrick. Patrick Mahomes is undervalued, R.J. Last year, missed three games due to injury. Two other games he played with an ankle injury. Despite that, and despite Tyreek Hill, the cheetah, being out four games, his best weapon, Patrick Mahomes still was the clear-cut second-best quarterback in the league. I expect he'll be the best quarterback this coming year. I'm back in Mahomes 4-1 to to win MVP. All
3: right. I don't like it. Now, I do like it because Fez is making a good point that – The narrative will be Mahomes won the Super Bowl last year, but he didn't win the MVP. They gave it to Lamar Jackson. That's why it's my belief Lamar Jackson, who's the second favorite, has less of a chance than you might think because they don't want a story like another Lamar Jackson MVP. They want a different story. And we've seen this. If you look back through many of the winners, it's not the obvious people. And we've seen it in the NBA too. Michael Jordan lost to Barkley. It's like, okay, we get it. Right, Belichick's the best coach. Who's the second best coach? That will get the coach of the year. I think the MVP has some of that. And even though Mahomes didn't win the MVP last year, he won the Super Bowl when he won the MVP the year before, it doesn't feel like a new story. It feels like Mott's more of the same, Fez. And that's not a good thing when it's a vote. Because media people vote for stories, for narrative. And because of that, I don't think Mahomes getting the MVP is a good story. Thus, I don't think the media guys who are very self-interested are going to vote for it. I think on merit, you're right. But this is a vote. This is not about merit. I disagree.
0: Straight out of Vegas!
5: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR
0: to listen live. Any college baseball fans out there, if you're traveling to see your team and need a place to stay, two words for you, graduate hotels. We stayed at the Nashville location for the SEC tournament. It was awesome. Beautiful rooms, cool vibe, and perfect location.